0: concerts, sporting events, conferences, people are always on the move. Your home may be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.ca slash host.
1: I guess my question would be for Danny. I I know we're looking forward here, but I think we have to look back also. And I think much of what happened to Kyle Beach stemmed from a, a power imbalance between a coach and a player and the powerlessness of a player in that situation so what are the Blackhawks doing, what have the Blackhawks done, what will the Blackhawks do to empower a player in a similar situation to make sure that doesn't happen again? I'm going to answer the question okay. at the end. I think the report speaks for itself. The people that were involved are no longer here. We're not looking back at 2010, we're looking forward, and we're not going to talk about 2010. We're, I'm not talking about 2010. I, I know, and I'm not either, and we're not going to talk about what happened. We're moving forward. That is my answer. Now what's your next question? I can pick up to what we are doing today. And I think that's... No, I don't know. That's none of your business. That's none of your business. What we're going to do today is our business. I don't think it's any of your business. How is it not my business because I don't think it's any of your business. You don't work for the company. If someone in the company asks that question, we'll answer it. And I think you should get on to the next subject. We're not going to talk about Kyle Beach. We're not going to talk about anything that happened. Now we're moving on. What more do I have to say? You want to keep asking the same question? You hear the same answer? Okay, ask the next question. Okay, good.
0: That was Wednesday. And with that, we welcome you to the uh, 32 Thoughts podcast presented by the all-new GMC AT4 lineup. Elliot, that was stunning, shocking, disappointing. I don't know how else to describe it, although there are plenty of adjectives. As you were watching this live, what's going through your mind here, Frege?
2: You know what I thought, Jeff? What's that? I thought I was watching Succession. Hmm. Do you watch Succession? I have never seen it but I've heard all about it. There are times in that show where it's so uncomfortable because Logan Roy, who's, you know, the father and the most powerful person in the company, he'll lash out and people will try to stop him and it just doesn't matter. He's the most powerful person and Everybody is intimidated by him and afraid of his power and what he could do with that power. And they don't stop him. Like, as you said, I was watching it live and I was shocked because I didn't understand what had happened. I actually thought that maybe somebody off camera that we didn't know who it was had said something that had set off Rocky Wirtz. Because the question that Mark Lazarus asked. I spoke to Kyle Davidson a couple months ago and he talked about your general manager at this time, interim general manager, one, you're tasked with dealing with the hockey team, but also at a time where you're trying to rebuild the reputation of the franchise. And we started talking about that and he said, look, I I really don't want to go into it because we're going to do a press conference on this in a few months. And I think it's, proper that we roll it out in a certain way at that time so they've been preparing for this for a while they announced that the event would be held a week before like Jeff you know what's going on they're doing dry runs they're doing rehearsals they're prepping all the questions yeah like I'm sure some of those questions were pre-picked but they had to know that question was coming to me that was the most shocking thing about all of it is they had to know that that question was coming.
0: This was the first time that Rocky Wirtz has faced questions since the Kyle Beach Lock and Jenner report came out. So to your point, Rocky must've known the Blackhawks must've known whether it was going to be at the town hall, whether it was going to be somewhere down the road, the question was coming. You had months to prepare for it. And to your point about this being, you know, a, a belt high fastball, I mean, this was a tap-in. This was a layup. This was an easy one, even by Lazarus's own admission. It was a soft question. Like, there's some questions that you throw out to people to give them a shine spot. This was a place where the Blackhawks could have shone. This was a place where Chicago Blackhawks could have said, Mark, thank you. You know, as much as we don't want to look backwards and we want to look forwards, here's what we are going to do to make sure blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It was a potentially great moment, but instead, like it almost seemed as if a couple of things to me. One, Rocky Wirtz, to me, seemed like, in his mind, he was an aggrieved party and didn't want to discuss it. like somehow he was victimized because he had to pay Kyle Beach. And also, you know, I look at Rocky Wirtz and that dynamic between him and his son Danny. And I said, you know, that's really troubling. As Danny was prepared to say something, Rocky cut him off. His dad cut him off. I want to get to that dynamic here in a sec Fridge. But one thing I do want to ask you, I'm very curious about. I wonder through all of it, because the TNT panel discussed it. And most specifically, not to discredit, you know, anything that any of the other panelists had to say about it. But when Wayne Gretzky commented on it the way that he did, and Wayne Gretzky isn't exactly known for having adversarial takes uh, against the NHL, any teams, like he's a really smart thinker. Like he's Wayne Gretzky, but he's not known for confrontation. He's known for conversation. Like there are only two instances where, you know, there were moments where you say, okay, this is Wayne Gretzky going off script or demonstrating that he is perturbed at something. One was the Arizona situation where he was owed money by the team. And the other, as frivolous as it may seem now was in the 94, 95 lockout where he grew a goatee. (laughs) But like, other than that, like this isn't what Wayne does. I saw that on TNT. And I said, if you've got to the point where Wayne Gretzky is commenting on this thing, all of a sudden you have, taken this thing and turned the volume knob up to 11 and you've turned the heat up even more on the chicago blackhawks from
1: every point of view this is just a horrible scenario horrible situation what happened to that young man but i'm sitting here thinking as a parent you're sitting there going my son's 18 years old he's gonna maybe be drafted by that team i i
0: want to make sure yeah
1: and i'm sure yeah. they do have things in place that are going to protect those
0: kids moving forward what is the gretzky effect here and is there a gretzky effect
2: well of course there is for the exact reason you said that gretzky doesn't weigh in on these things and you know he made a good point about what's the parent of an 18 year old who's being drafted or going to chicago thinking about that i I think it's a very very fair point a couple of things from what you said there, first of all, I don't think that Rocky Wirtz sees himself as victimized. What I think is that Rocky Wirtz had decided they were closing the door on this and they were never going to talk about it again and that he's never been challenged. Like you talked about the relationship between Rocky and Danny, you know, Danny Wirtz is the CEO there. Jamie Faulkner is a major voice in the Blackhawks. Some of the things that she's been doing behind the scenes, she's very proud of and trying to modernize the organization in a lot of different ways. He completely neutered them on that stage. He completely neutered them. It's very, very difficult to recover from that in the business world. Very, very difficult. And Rocky Words is someone he doesn't get told no. Mm. There aren't very many people who tell Rocky Words no. So when he says, I'm not talking about it anymore, or we're not talking about it anymore. He expects everybody to follow the rules as he lays them down. That's what the issue was for him. I don't think it's because he feels victimized because he said, We're not talking about it anymore. The Chicago Blackhawks are his team, the team he owns, Danny Words, Jamie Faulkner. You're not talking about it anymore. No, that's it. So when Danny tries to answer it and Rocky takes it, and then Danny tries to interject, and then Rocky cuts him off. That's the dynamic we're seeing here. And the thing is, too, is that you sit here and you say, what are the consequences? Well, all of a sudden, like this is an owner who's on the executive committee. This is an owner whose family has been a major power broker through his father and grandfather in the National Hockey League for 90 years. This is a, a problem for the commissioner, the deputy commissioner, not of their own making. And now they always meet with the media on All-Star Weekend. They're going to do it Friday afternoon, and this is a problem he suddenly has to deal with, that A, well, there's never a good time for it, but it's a horrible time because it's right at his All-Star game, and B, now he has to deal with this. Okay, I know there's a lot of families who listen to this, or some anyway. I'm going to count to five and then turn it down for five seconds. Five, four, three, two, one. Jeff what we've got to do is stop having what the fuck moments. And what I mean by that is things that or problems that we create ourselves, right? Like sometimes you just look at a friend of yours or someone you really care about and you're like WTF? Why did you just do that? You didn't need to do that. And that's what I think about here. And so I'm thinking what what I would do if I was in the commissioner's shoes and What you need to do is say, we're stopping this now. And I know it's hard because the warts are really powerful, but there's got to be something whether it's whether he steps down or whether he's suspended from the day-to-day operations or at the very least, he's off the executive committee because he's one of the 10 most powerful owners. And you've got to say, hey, everyone, we're putting an end to this. This one didn't need to happen. And everything we do is under a microscope and people are looking for problems to rip us, we're taking the out. We're saying to ourselves, we're not giving anyone else any ammunition, any fire. And that's what I'd be looking at if I was the commissioner. You know, there was something that happened in that press conference. One of the things that Jamie Faulkner announced was, before this all happened, is they said, our season ticket holders are telling us they don't want to buy preseason games. Now, that's one of the ways that season ticket holders in a lot of markets get gouged. Yeah, You have to buy the preseason. But she comes out and she says, we're not going to force you to buy preseason games anymore. Like, to me, when you're trying to rebuild something with your fans, that's a home run. As a matter of fact, someone texted me later and said, it's the number one complaint teams get about their season tickets. Hmm. Why do we have to buy a preseason games? So that's a little gesture that your fans are going to appreciate. And all of a sudden, that's blown to smithereens. It is absolutely blown to smithereens. We got to stop doing that.
0: Really quickly, just so our listeners can understand that may not understand that dynamic. Players aren't paid in the preseason. That's why that is so significant for NHL teams. That is all direct revenue. Their checks don't start until the season begins. to the point about gouging or cash grab to Elliot's point. That's normally what people point to and say, you know what, there's an issue. And I'm with you. That's a significant one because it's interesting because what we're talking about here is, you know, building this sort of bridge of trust once again, between the organization and its fan base and I think eventually Mark Lazarus will have his question answered. You know, Danny Wirtz tried to answer it. I believe both um, Danny Wirtz and Jamie Faulkner both approached Mark Lazarus and Philip Thompson from the Tribune uh, to say, you know, we will be discussing this, you know, approached him privately and, and almost quietly about it. But my question is, how can that announcement have any credibility after we've seen what Rocky Wirtz has done? Like once you've had that type of performance and that vitriol, you know, reaffirming a lot of stereotypes about how people feel about those that are in charge of certain NHL teams, specifically the Chicago Blackhawks throughout this entire Kyle Beach saga. How can any announcement have any credibility? I look at this as if this is now a crisis of credibility, no matter what Danny Wertz and Jamie Faulkner and the entire organization put out there. Because we've already seen this from Rocky. We've already seen this from Rocky.
2: This is the whole thing. Like Jeff, this was their press conference, as I said earlier, to set up their recovery, to explain their recovery. So what are you going to do? Have another press conference to explain how you're going to recover from that press conference?
1: Mm
2: -hmm. Sometimes in the media, we sometimes forget how the business world works. And so I called a friend of mine who's in business and I said, you know, what did you think watching that? And he said that if that happened in a meeting, it would be very difficult for the other people in that meeting who were silenced by him to recover. And that's the challenge here now for the Blackhawks is like, I think Rocky Wirtz wanted Danny Wirtz and Jamie Faulkner to be the faces of his team. They're both heavily involved in the organization. You know, now he's damaged that. You know, one of the things that I was talking about with people today is, are they now going to look at this and say, we have to go outside of the organization and get someone else now? Are they going to have no choice but to say, Hmm. we need a new person?
0: I can't give you an answer. I don't want to be clip and clip into quick. It's you know, like it's too quick. The nerves are right there on the skin. I can't, I don't know. I don't know what they do. All I know is going to the office on Thursday morning must have been awful. Logging in on Thursday morning as you're someone working for the Chicago Blackhawks after that demonstration on Wednesday. I think there are a lot of people in that organization that probably have a lot of misgivings about being there right now. Jobs are hard to come by. I get it. And I'm talking from the backseat, but you're right. Like that's tough for those people to recover. And I'm just thinking about everybody else in the organization watching that too, Mm -hmm. who's saying to themselves, do I really want to be part of this? Do I really want to be part of this organization after that? And I'm not saying that there should be old oh, mass resignations. No, no, jobs are hard, man. Like it's
2: People have to do what they think is right for them and their families.
0: They have to do what's right for them and their families. But you know what it does, though, Elliot? It chips away at any type of loyalty you have to your company. It kills your morale. When you go through something like that, all of a sudden, someone that loved their job just goes to a job now. This is my job. Where once you might have been proud to tell people where you work. Maybe now you just say,
2: I work in hockey. You know, for me, like I say this all the time, I love hockey. It's taught me so many great things. It really has made me a better person. You know, I've been in sports now since, as, as a professional, since out of school, since 1993. I've been basically hockey exclusive since 2003. I have learned so much and it's made me so much of a better person. And I think it's a better place than it shows sometimes. But like I said earlier about we've got to stop shooting ourselves, like these are the things that we just have to stop. Like in tennis, they keep the stat, unforced error. Yeah. This is an unforced error. This did not have to happen. And it hurts the sport.
0: One of the things, and you and I sort of discussed this on the radio show on Thursday too, this idea that you know, there's the old saying, you know, you become your parents eventually. Mm-hmm. So once upon a time, you know, this wasn't Rocky Wurtz. Rocky Wurtz was the smiling new face of the Wurtz family, where there had been a disconnect between the hockey market in Chicago and the owner of the Chicago Blackhawks, Rocky's father, Bill. Rocky came in and it was the games are on television. This is a new direction for the Chicago Blackhawks. The old Here Come the Hawks theme song was blaring all over the city. John McDonough came in, Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane, and Here Come the Stanley Cups. And again, I'm not that close to it because I don't live there and I'm not dealing with the Blackhawks every day. But is there not an element of Rocky becoming Bill publicly on that stage
2: on Wednesday night? Well, that's what someone said to me. Someone who's a little older, like I didn't cover the NHL. Well, certainly not when Arthur was around because that was 1930. But I wasn't around when Bill was around. But they said, you know, he ran the NHL basically. He was never, what did they call it back then? The president, John Ziegler?
0: John Ziegler was the president. Yeah, yeah. Gary was the first commissioner.
2: They never called him the commissioner, but Bill Wirtz was the power broker. And people said that's what it was like with him. If you disagreed with him, he shouted you down. And he always had the votes. Now, I wanted to you know, turn the conversation a little bit on the GM search. And I was talking to some people about this today, about what that's going to mean. Do you think,
0: though, any potential candidates might have misgivings
2: about being part of the organization, though? I wouldn't say the GM search is tainted or anything like that, Jeff, but Mm -hmm. Kyle Davidson interviewed this week. I think it was on Tuesday, and they're going to begin opening it up to external interviews. And one of the things I'm hearing is that there's a question now of, does this mean that they need to bring in a more experienced person Like If you're only thinking of hiring a GM, let's just say, for example, that Kyle Davidson's your choice and he's your GM, now the question becomes, do you need someone above him to manage up? To simply say that after what happened on Wednesday night, you simply need a more experienced hand somewhere in your organization. Now, Ed Olczyk was on the stage that night. I have a feeling that his name again, and he's on the advisory committee. He was added there with Marian Hosa and Patrick Sharp. And someone called me and said they wouldn't be surprised if his name is brought up again. I don't know if it's going to be the GM or another role there simply to manage up. And one of the names that came out and Darren Dreger reported it was Peter Shirelli. Now, I know that people have a visceral reaction to Shirelli because of, you know, the way it finished in Edmonton, but here's why I think that that kind of name is going to get traction here. Number one, the league likes Peter Shirelli. He's been around. He's a lawyer in addition to a guy who played hockey. He's a lawyer. He's been an executive a long time. Uh, Whether you agree or don't agree with his hockey moves, he's, he's a stable person. You know, I could see the NHL saying after what happened on Wednesday night, you need someone who's older, has some experience. Yes, you've got to make sure you have a good hockey staff around him and he's learned the lessons from, example, what happened with him in Edmonton. But I do think, Jeff, you're going to see a push here to say we need experience. Yeah. Because of the way this happened and the way that, things unfolded there, you're going to need somebody who's been around. You know, I do think that Chicago wants to interview some new, fresh, younger people. And I think that that's a good thing in general. But I think the pressure is going to be on for people who've been around a while because of the way this unfolded. Because you can't afford any more mistakes. And mm-hmm. Chick has been around a long time. Shirelli has been around a long time. You can think of other people who've been around a long time. And if Danny Wurtz feels so strongly about Kyle Davidson, hire him and give him a position of authority and allow him to continue to grow and learn. Like to me, that's a no-brainer. And I do think the Blackhawks are in cost-cutting mode here, like a lot of teams are, which is part of this. But after what happened the other night, I think there's going to be a big push for experienced people in and around there because you can't afford any more mistakes from a PR point of view. It's going to be interesting to me to see if this does change the course because I think Chicago had their names and I think some of them, like Davidson, were younger and fresher and newer and I think the push is going to be on to say, hang on a sec, you guys have proven that you might not be able to handle that. So we'll see where it goes.
0: You know, one of the things the solar eclipse, remember that, reminded us is people will travel to have unique experiences, see things, and be part of events. We all saw how people congregated in areas that had the best view, the best safe view. And they all had to stay somewhere, and many used Airbnb. I want to share something with you I was once told. One of the wisest things you can do when you host an Airbnb is find events in your area and let people in that community know that your place is available for out-of-towners. Many did this with the Eclipse. You can do this as well. Your home could be an Airbnb. Seriously, it doesn't have to be your whole place. I mean, it could be. You'd be surprised what people are looking for when they travel. It's simple and it's really, really smart. You might want to think about it. You could be sitting on a whole new revenue stream. Concerts, sporting events, conferences. People are always on the move. Your home may be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.ca slash So, Elliot, Thursday was made official by the Anaheim Ducks. Pat Verbeek is the new general manager. And as you reported, mystery candidate number two
2: was Jason Botterill of the uh, Seattle Kraken. Verbeek didn't surprise you, correct? No, I, I heard it was trending that direction on the weekend. I think when we did the 32 Thoughts hockey night version, I was told it was trending in that way. It seemed to be the most likely outcome. And, you know, I'll say this. One of the things that kind of happens, Jeff, is that it's like our grandparents, right? When I was young, I used to walk 50 (laughs) miles uphill both ways to school. Yeah, we didn't have alarm clocks.
0: We put candles in our nose and lit them (laughs) on fire when we went to bed. And when they burned to our nose, we
2: knew it was time to wake up. It was time to wake up. There's a bit of that in scouting too. Sometimes some of the older scouts are like, these young guys, they don't work that hard. Nobody's ever questioned <laughs> Pat Verbeek about that. Holy smokes, is that ever true? He is at every rink. He is a hard, hard worker. I have to say, my only complaint about his media conference is the zoom shot made his head look gigantic. But you know, that's a small criticism. I'm not the best looking guy on it's Zoom either. Fault. <laughs> it's not his fault. Uh, I'm not the best looking Zoom guy either. Uh, <laughs> but he's a worker and he's smart. You know, the interesting thing about this is I have a debate with others sometimes. Like if you look at the Bill Belichick coaching tree in football, it's not that successful. Mm -hmm. It's not that successful. Like even Mike Ford talked about that with us is that you go out and you get the person from the most successful tree and you hope it works, but it doesn't always work. Who won the Stanley Cup a couple of years ago? Get that guy. Exactly. Well, we've seen it happen in the NFL all the time, but people said like they think for Beaks a smart bet. They think it's a smart bet. And now the interesting thing is going to be what happens around them. Like I look at their staff, they just brought in Jeff Solomon, Martin Madden, a couple of years ago, Seattle wanted to steal him and, and give him a promotion, but they said, no, we're keeping him and we're giving him a promotion ourselves. Dave Nonis is a guy the, the organization really likes. And someone else mentioned to me, Todd Marchand too. Like that's a guy with a long history with the Ducks that they really like. And I know in the interviews, some of the candidates were asked about keeping current people. So it's going to be interesting what or who Verbeek wants to bring with him, because look, like Anaheim really likes a lot of its staff. So it's going to be interesting to see what the mix is.
0: That is one of the questions. Who stays of the Dave Nona's, Martin Madden, as you mentioned, Jeff Solomon. And if they stay, what does the department then look like? Like with someone like Jeff Solomon, for example, like I've been told he's a big analytics guy. And under Bob Murray, we all knew that that was an area of neglect. Well, he
2: was basically brought in to modernize the organization. The Kings had a very modern organization and he was brought in to bring that to them.
0: So I wonder now with in, if Solomon stays, if they have a more robust department in that department. Listen, we all know about you know, Dave Nonis' uh, history and experience. We all know about you know, Madden and how he's been able to place players. I am curious who stays through all of this. But the one thing you mentioned, the, the Belichick tree, is there anything to this idea that he comes from the GM factory that produced you know, Holland and Nil and Iserman and now Verbeek, the Detroit Red Wings.
2: Yeah, but I think this is more an Iserman tree than a Holland tree. And that's not a shot at Ken Holland. I, I think Iserman is just his own unique person. There just aren't many like him. Verbi had a couple of really interesting answers in his media conference when he talked about how young players train. I think you have to be able to provide, you know, the tools for those players, whether it's, you know, the strength coaches, whether it's the nutrition, the strength programs, you know, I, I think that is a vital role in helping, you know, these players get to the NHL. I think development and working with these kids on, you know, on a bi-weekly basis or a weekly basis with uh, your player development staff is vital for these guys making strides and getting there and getting to the NHL faster. You can answer anything in these questions, right? And that was what he went to. And I, I thought that was a really interesting answer. But the other thing is when he talked about Iserman, what did Iserman teach him? Patience and due diligence. Like I think Iserman is his own unique person. There's, he's no one's tree. He's the tree. He's the redwood. Right. Mm -hmm. He follows his own path and he does things his way. But he does things extremely well. He's successful in everything he does. It's it's quite frankly disgusting, really. (laughs) And I think Verbeek has seen that. And like I said, like the thing about Iserman and Verbeek is. Iserman's in the Hall of Fame. He's one of the most successful players ever in the history of the game. Verbeek is not in the Hall of Fame, but he's around there. He played 1,500 games and he was a hell of a player.
0: If you simply go by the numbers for Pat Verbeek, these are Hall of Fame numbers. Yeah, okay. 1,424 games, over 500 goals, over 1,000 points, did win a Stanley Cup and almost 3,000 penalty minutes as well. Something happened every time he was on the ice. If you just go by the numbers.
2: But my point is, before I was so rudely interrupted.
0: With facts, yes. With I facts. know, information gets you riled up. Yeah,
2: it does. I just like narrative. <laughs> they had every excuse to mail it in for the rest of their lives, and they didn't. They yeah. poured themselves into this. So I see it as the Iserman tree. And we talked about this last podcast. He pushed for this. He might. Say, I'm not asking him if he did. I just know he did. I know he really thought that Verbeek earned the opportunity.
0: Now one of the questions becomes, how does he see this franchise? And maybe this is more of, you know, what was the the nature of the conversation between um, the Samuelis and Pat Verbeek? Was it more of Verbeek needing to blend into the vision that already exists in Anaheim and the Samuelis? Or is it Pat Verbeek coming to this interview process and saying, this is what I think this team needs to do? I don't know the answer to that. But I do wonder, if you're Pat Verbeek, at what place do you think the Anaheim Ducks are at right now in the rebuild and on whose timeline are you following?
2: He answered those questions. You were still on the air. I listened to his media conference. Yeah. And he said that one of the best things about going to the docks was they're not at the bottom. They're coming up out of it. Yeah. Like some people win jobs because they say what people want to hear. Mm-hmm. I think that's so lame and disgusting. I would hope as a person I would have a better BS detector than that. I think the best people go into job interviews and they're honest. And they say, this is what I think you've got. And this is what I think we need to do and we can align. But Verbeek said that he thinks that Anaheim is on its way up and doesn't need to tear down. And I could see them as a team saying, we like that. One guy who gets no talk in the rookie conversation is Jamie Drysdale. Absolutely. For sure. That's a great piece for them. In addition to everything else they've got. Now Verbeek doesn't have a lot of time. He said he's moving to Anaheim on Saturday, He doesn't have a lot of time here. He's got some big decisions to make right away that will chart the future of the franchise, Mm -hmm. but it's clear to me, he thinks they're headed in the right direction. The big decision starts with whom? 47. Does it
0: start with Hampus Lindholm or does it start with making moves with, listen, we've talked about Ricard Raquel and.
2: Lindholm's your big decision. You know, you have to decide where you're going here and, Pat Verbeek and Claude Lemieux, that will be some negotiation. They might have to send stitches for that one.
0: <laughs> That'll be a fight. Well, I'm always curious about when someone talks about rebuild and to your point about Pat Verbeek, this isn't a team, is a team at the bottom of the rebuild. It's a team that's on their way up. I'm always curious about whose timeline are they following? Like which players are in that timeline? Like there are some obvious ones. Trevor Zegers, you're following his Timeline in this rebuild. You mentioned Jamie Drysdale as well. I'll throw in Mason McTavish, just because I think that they look at him as you know, at worst their second line center of the future, but probably their first line center of the future be- between him and and, and Trevor zegris But like, I'm curious, you know, who fits the timeline, and if they can't redo Hampus Lindholm, like let's just say Hampus Lindholm decides, I want to try something else. Like Hampus Lindholm is a different kind of guy. Like Campus Lindholm is a as much as he's a great teammate and a super hockey player, you know, he's someone that's into having, you know, different life experiences as well. Like if he says, I want to go try living or playing in another market, what happens to other players around him that aren't on the Trevor Zegris, Mason McTavish, Jamie Drysdale timeline? And the obvious one that we were all think of is John Gibson. Like, if you lose one, do you automatically need to lose two?
2: No, I don't necessarily believe that. I think that you have to look at each decision in a vacuum. I'd be doing what I could to sign a guy like Linholm. 100%. You know, I've told you this. I heard, like, he's 28. He just turned 28. What are the top defense getting? They're getting eight times nine, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm sure Claude Lemieux, he's no dummy. He's pointing to Darnell Nurse. He's pointing to... Seth Jones he's he's yeah you know here we are and I had heard the Ducks were willing to do a, a bit more on a shorter term but I don't know where that is but the thing is if you lose him can you replace him the advantage that Verbeek has is that he's got a lot of people in there who know Lynn really well but the thing is like if you lose Lynn do you think you can replace him with something else if you can then go out and do it but I think that's a lot easier said than done.
0: No, there's no new Hampus homecoming. I think he's been one of the secret weapons in the West and uh, only people that pay attention to the Ducks know about it. Like, honestly, I, I, he's one of those guys that you always say, if we only played in a bigger market, everybody would know the name Hampus Lynn home. He's just that good.
2: By the way, Jeff, somebody told me that Toronto is on Manson's no trade list. That doesn't mean it can't happen mm. that just means you have to if you really want to do it you've got to work it a bit
0: are all the canadian teams on his no trade list? i don't
2: know i was just i was specifically told toronto because i'd been mentioning it right i think it was someone's way of trying to get me to be quiet <laughs> <laughs>
0: i don't know if that's ever worked <laughs> Ah, Elliot, yet another start to another week. Now, other than the 32
2: Thoughts podcast, there's eh, not much else
0: really to look forward to.
2: Jeff, you are forgetting about Montana's daily deals. Their chicken wings are double-dusted in-house, cooked to a golden crispy finish. And they're half price on Mondays. Uh, half price? Half price every Monday and sauced however you like them.
0: Well then, head on down to Montana's Barbecue and Bar for half price wings every Monday. The only other thing exciting about Mondays. Some conditions apply. Visit montanas.ca for details. You know, one of the things the solar eclipse, remember that, reminded us is... Elliot, I want to ask you about some of the general managers you talked to for 32 Thoughts of the Blog. David Poyle, Rob Blake, and Bill Guerin. We'll start with Nashville. And David Poyle is someone that's been around a long time. What's the stat? The winningest GM in, uh, in NHL history? Yep. What did you take away from your conversation with David Poyle?
2: I think that uh, the number one thing we kind of laughed about was that they lead the league in fighting majors, and he didn't really expect that but he thinks it's a reason that their team has improved this year. Like, look, like he admitted, he made decisions last year that were not popular decisions. They weren't popular among the roster. They weren't popular among the fans. Arvidsson, Ellis too. Yeah. But he said, we got stale. You know, we were out of our window. We were in our window. We were out of our window. And, you know, we have to do better. I don't know if they expected themselves to be where they are this year. I think they're going to make the playoffs. I think those top four Central division teams are going to make the playoffs. And what a nasty playoffs that's going to be. Colorado, Minnesota, St. Louis, and Nashville.
0: Knife fight, knife fight, knife fight.
2: They had to do something. And their best players have been great. Saros has been great. Yossi has been great. Forsberg has been great. Duchesne has been great. Johansson's been great. Although, you know, there are people who said to me, 16 and a half minutes a game when you're making $8 million, you are making 8000000 you can not want that. My point is, look, like, you got to do what you do to make it work. Their best players have been their best players, but they've been rejuvenated by what's happening underneath them. Mm-hmm. And guys like Jeanneau and Alexander Carrier, like those are the kinds of players that have stepped in for them that they weren't expecting. You know, grandlin has been great. That's a guy who says gets no credit. Mm-hmm. I don't know what they expected. I didn't think they'd be that good, but I think they're better than we all thought.
0: You know who doesn't get enough credit there? Who? John Hines doesn't get enough credit.
2: Done a very good job.
0: You know, he, uh, he helped Taylor Hall have his best year ever. Heart trophy. You know, I, I look at some of the players on this team and you just ran down a, a, a list of them. Like, I don't think it's any surprise that these guys are enjoying career years, whether they're young players like Tanner Janot or whether they're more established players, someone looking at, you know, free agency like Philip Forsberg. None of that surprises me. Because what was it that you pointed out the other day? This reminded us of the other day. This is his first full season with the Nashville Predators. Yeah. There's no stop and start. There's no pause.
2: He was hired in January 2020, two months before the pause.
0: Yeah. I, I think Hines has done a great job uh, with the Nashville Predators. It's a fun team. And I just love that UC Saros is you know, smashing all our stereotypes. You love Janot too. And 14 goals, and he's raw, bone tough. And I just think of my conversation with Tim Hunter and Moose Jaw when he kept saying, Don't sleep on this kid.
2: One goal as a 17 year old. Crazy, right? It's interesting too, because,
0: you know, one of the things about Tim Hunter, who was his coach in in Moose Jaw, you know, he was one of those guys that kind of wrecked training camp for everybody because he would come in. And he'd be torn up like a bad report card. You'd light matches off the guy and everyone else would be like, do we have to show up like Tim? And then the expectation was, yeah, you got to show up like Tim Hunter now because he always kept himself in great shape. And here comes Tanner Janot, who's a rock himself. Bill Guerin, what was the, uh, the conversation like with the Minnesota GM?
2: Guerin, I liked the way he talked about his team's personality, that they're honest with each other. They say the hard things to each other. And that you want to play a skill game, we'll play a skill game. You want to go into the back alley, we'll go into the back alley. And I think the interesting thing, too, is with Garen is that he's basically said, because of our cap situation, I want to know who I've got where as quickly as I possibly can. Mm-hmm. And they've signed Felino and they've signed Greenway, and they've signed Hartman. You know, the one guy they don't have signed, well, the backup, and is arbitration eligible. I'm sure they get something done there if they want to. And the one guy they don't have to sign is Fiala, who's been on a bit of a tear lately. Yes. But, you know, he likes his team. And the one thing about Garen is he's, he is not afraid. Like, he said similar things as, as Poyle. He doesn't really want to change his team around very much because he likes the personal mix of it. You know, we should say one thing about Poyle. I did ask him about an unsigned Forsberg going into the trade deadline. And he said, I don't want to box myself in. It's not my preference, but I'll never say never. I should mention that. But the thing about Guerin is he likes his team a lot. He likes his team a lot. And I like the fact that he thinks a bit differently, Jeff, in the sense that he says, well, people say we don't have a number one center, but we have a star in Kaprizov who doesn't shy away from rough games who can create chances off the wing. And he mentioned Kucherov as another player who does it. Okay, so if you don't have something, how are you going to overcome it? And I like Guerin's creative thinking in the sense that he finds a way to overcome it.
0: They may have one on the horizon. They may have one in Marco Rossi. He's not quite there yet. Next year. He's not full-time NHL ready, but you know what? That's probably fine, right? That's probably fine for them and their, and their salary structure. And you know, the interesting thing as well. And yeah. He'll be on an ELC. You know, that works out fine. Thank you very much. No point in, in, in jumping him in early. But the point about uh, Kevin Fiala, I had and, and and his production so far, and how he's happy. I had um, Mike Russo on the uh, on the radio show, and he was talking about how much Kevin Fiala has just thrived off the play of Matthew Boldy. Well, and it's sort of give and take, like it's both. But that combination has been fantastic for Minnesota. Like they've got three really solid lines here. And that second line, you know, you you, you mentioned Felino and Joel Eriksson-Eck is in the middle and Jordan Greenaway, like there's two stealthy, selkie candidates there in Felino and Eriksson-Eck. I'm with you for each. They're good. I know there's Cap Hell coming up, but that's a really good team. I was really happy to see Rob Blake talk about Mikey Anderson the way that he did and talk about Mikey Anderson a lot because one of the things that I don't think many have talked about is the pair of Drew Doughty and Mikey Anderson. You know, despite the fact that he's injured right now, Anderson and Doughty have been really good this year for the Los Angeles Kings. What did you take away from the Blake talk?
2: I just think that uh, he's going to go for a left-shot D and a score. Like he he quoted expected goals to me. Mm-hmm. That's a conversation I didn't think I would have had 5 years ago. That was one of the first things he said to me actually was the expected goals.
0: Dustin Brown have a thought there.
2: Conversation during the uh all star break. They'll see. Like I didn't get the impression he's going anywhere. I think he's gonna retire a king and his and his number retired there too. But you know, Blake says he's happy with him as the third liner on Byfield's. Uh, wing help him out mm-hmm. and you know we'll see his contracts up this summer right yes so I think they just want to have a conversation about where he thinks Brown's head is I don't think they're rushing to trade him or anything like that but he just said we're gonna have a conversation about his future
0: Normally, we get to some emails and some phone calls from the thought line. Uh, today, we're going to push that element of the podcast into the next pod because we're getting a little bit heavy, but we promise we're going to get to you. But there is one comment, however, we do want to play. They gave the 4-5 or five class from Gloucester's Public School in Oakville, Ontario, here to update the in-season cup.
1: In
2: the lead with 31 Days Elliot Freeman. In second place with 30 days, David Amber. <laughs> in third place in the current champion with 21 days, Caroline Cameron. And in dead last, Jeff Merrick with 20 days. <laughs> it is super
0: close at the all-star break. Follow along on Twitter.
2: Oh, man. Did that just make my day? I don't know about you, Fridge, but I love it. I think you should make that like your phone message. Even though nobody leaves messages anymore, you should put that in your phone.
0: That was awesome. And for those who don't know who that is, that is a grade four or five class in Oakville who are doing all the heavy lifting and tracking the in-season cup. If you want to follow along on Twitter, at in-season cup. And yes, I'm in last place. Surprise, surprise. Taking us out, a uh, Toronto-based musician, Jacob Switzer, a.k.a. Jay Feelbender, New on the scene as a solo musician, Jay has only dropped a pair of singles, but has been around the music scene the last decade. With his first single, here's Jay Feelbender with Cheap Whiskey on 32 Thoughts, the podcast.
3: I keep walking, kicking leaves, kicking rocks on. Uh, no point stopping sitting sweet on the rocks on. Uh, Alone in the city with a feeling of. Uh, Walking till I'm losing all my feelings, uh. This might be my only way of dealing, uh. Walking till I'm losing all my feelings, uh. There's no one else around, think I'm feeling free. There's no one in the city standing next to me. Music on, music on. The rocks on, rocks on. Feeling one way, feeling lost. Does anything mean anything at all? I keep walking, kicking me Rocks on, uh. no point stopping sipping sweet on the rocks on, uh. alone in the city with a feeling on, uh. walking till I'm losing all my feelings on, uh. this might be my only way of dealing on, uh. walking till I'm losing all my feelings on, uh. there's no one else around think I'm feeling free, there's no one in the city standing next to me, music on, music on, rock on, rocks on, feeling wrong.